Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Unexpected cadence in bagging area. Hello and welcome back to Coral Chihuahua. Very nice to be joining you again, uh, having not been around for the last few episodes. But here we are uh, and I'm back again down the line, as we say. So not in the same room, but I can see you at least, Robert, on the new Zencaster camera app. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, we've not seen each other apart from one occasion uh, when we bumped into each other in Dublin. We had both to leave the country if we actually wanted to bump into each other. Yeah, that's typical, isn't it? It's just like, you know, you always bump into your friends at airports. Uh, and, and this is uh, the first piece we're going to hear is um, is something you were doing out there. You working with Chamber Choir Ireland. That's right. Yeah, Chamber Choir Ireland, who I was delighted to get an invitation to uh, step in and conduct a programme with them. And uh, wanted to do a programme sort of based around James McMillan's music. Um, and it was people who have influenced him. So the great Renaissance polyphonists of Bird and Talis and Palestrina, but also those he has uh, been an influence upon. One of whom is Kim Porter, my uh, alto colleague uh, in the 16, who's also a very fine composer. Uh, she uh, was sort of mentored by James when she was a student at Manchester University. Uh, and so did a couple of pieces of hers. And we're going to hear one of them now. This is Pied Beauty. Um, which uh, was a commission for my chamber choir, the Thomas Tallis Society. Now, this is this is a, a um, one of those Gerald Manley Hopkins poems. Gosh, we've had quite a few settings for Fadge over the years, and it's it's the um, alliteration is always quite a mouthful. But this this is in one of these forms called a kirtle sonnet, which is something he invented, which is the same proportion as a fourteen line sonnet, but shorter, more intense, I suppose. And the idea is, glory be to God for dappled things, uh, nature in all its massive variety. But against that, God is unchanging. Oh. 
was Chamber Choir Ireland in Kim Porter's setting of Pied Beauty, uh, performed uh, in November with uh, in the wonderfully named Pepper Canister Church in Dublin, <laughs> uh, because it looks like a pepper canister, <laughs> or at least the top of it does. And that was in November. How big is the choir? It's a lovely sound. It's, it's, a, it's a rich sound. Yeah, it's just 16 singers there, uh, four, wow. four, 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 four. I had a great week with them. Really uh, lovely colleagues to work with, very open-minded, very keen to uh, experiment with sound and, uh, and, and just and work hard. We had, a, had a, a great week, which was improved, of course, by bumping into you. Uh, yeah, in the National Concert Hall, in a side room where we were at an awards ceremony. Now, uh, one tries to give the impression that one's at these things all the time, but it's, it's been 11 years since <laughs> I was at an awards ceremony. Um, uh, for Astrigio, I think. And this was for, this was, we were there hoping to get a prize for our film, The Stag Hunt. Anyway, we won. I would like to say this was the, um, uh, the REMA, the National, uh, the uh, European Early Music Organization. And we won it for John Labouchardier's film, The Stag Hunt, which people may have seen over the last year. It's still available. Um, and is, I suppose, part of a body of work in which we're trying to get people to engage with unusual, I suppose, you know, niche is the word that gets used, uh, niche uh, bits of choral music. I don't think it's niche. I just think it's not terribly well known. Uh, have you sung in this piece, La Chasse, Clément Janikas? Yeah, I did, I did a few performances of it, but uh, I managed to I managed to bail out before we had to memorise it completely because it's fiendish, isn't it? It is. We did a sing the score on it and you got Matthew Brooke to talk about it and he, he remembers the terror of, uh, of trying to... Do I've tried to learn that by heart. Yeah, quite terrifying enough to do it with a score, uh, never mind without. And as you say, it's still available to watch, uh, to see on, on YouTube, on the Fagiolini yes, channel. Uh, you, YouTube slash Fagiolini, it's there. Um, and we've got a new one coming out. And of course, you're in it because uh, you've not been terribly free to do Fagiolini things for the last few years. But this this was a must uh, to reprise your role as the, the count <laughs> in our setting by Giovanni Croce of uh, a board game, basically. We thought we'd release it at Christmas, as we did with the Stag Hunt last year, um, because board games, people associated that with Christmas. And this is one from 1595 that was very well known in Italy and continental Europe, uh, called The Game of the Goose, which is a little bit like Snakes and Ladders. You keep getting sent back to the to the back, if, uh, to the... Um, the beginning if you land on the bridge or something which i think happens to your character anyway so we have a new film of this coming out on boxing day it's all of i think seven minutes or eight minutes long uh coming out at 3 p.m on boxing day and then staying up there ever after what do you remember about filming it it was uh, it was april wasn't it in gloucestershire it was april it was it was very lovely it was a lot of fun i mean that's that's primarily what i remember but also the the sort of the detail, the number of people. So we had uh, Greg, but a, a big, a big crew. You know, we had runners and dressers, and the ladies spending a lot of time in costume and hair and makeup. And hair and makeup, because doing that nineteen thirties hair was very, very complicated, apparently. And they were in the chair for hours trying to get that uh, queen mother look. That's the uh, or former queen mother look, um, which is absolutely what Anna Anna looks like in the in the show. Yes, I, th I think that the thing about the number of people in the room, uh, those who got used to streaming concerts with a couple of iPhones and a couple of mics uh, would be surprised what it takes to do this at this kind of level with a, a director, a focus puller, a director of uh, photography, um, the makeup, the props people. There were about 10 or 11 people involved uh, just on that side, quite apart from us. 
there's a thing about doing comedy. Comedy is actually quite serious. It was a lot of fun, but it's quite serious because everything has to be so precise. And we filmed it in three days. And I think I think uh, Javier, the, the director of photography, was amazed by the fact that we could get this done the same every time. Well, of course, we had the music to guide us and we knew that at this moment, this or that had to be done. Anyway, uh, no point talking about it. I hope people will go and have a little look at it. And instead of playing you the, the croce itself, the, the mask, which you can hear in the piece, um, we're going to hear the little pieces of plucked music uh, that lead into it uh, in the film, which are absolutely delightful and were part of the original recording, uh, which we released in 2001 called Carnevale Veneziano, uh, the comic faces of Giovanni Croce. Um, and these are three super short pieces, just lovely repeated chord sequence. And the playing on them is exquisite. It's David Miller who put the uh, the, um, uh, the set together, Eligio Quintero, and uh, particularly Linda Sace playing on a very high lute.
Ah, oh, that's great, isn't it? Just lovely, feel good, feel good music. Uh, Linda Fingers Sace at the top there with that tiny, tiny lute. She has a whole collection of them. I, I booked a lute quartet to come and play at Stour last year, four of them in a row with a sort of, it was Goldilocks and the Four Bears, really. You had the four different size bowls. Marvellous. <laughs> What's what's autumn been like, Eamon? Because I know I've just seen um, I've just seen a post on uh, on Facebook from a, a singer we know well. I haven't got their permission to to quote it, so I won't, won't say the name. But just saying, what a difficult month December is. Just going from concert to concert, uh, you you had to look after yourself so much. You can't do that sort of, you know, having fun, going to the pub thing after concerts that one sometimes does um and then you get home just in time for christmas and then you're probably ill for it uh, how's i mean that's obviously it's a lovely thing to do to make music for a living but the, the whole autumn has been beset with problems of i mean travel has been a nightmare not just because of strikes uh, no political comment on that but just obviously it, it has made things very difficult um and the number of people who get ill, what's it been like in your neck of the woods? It's been pretty fraught, actually, from yeah, from a, a health perspective. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I mean, I, I got COVID uh, again, or just a mild dose of it this time, fortunately. Um, and uh, in the recent weeks, it, it, yeah, it's been tricky. So I've been doing a lot of, I've been doing the 16s uh, Christmas tour. And we have been uh, beset with with illness almost in every concert. There's been a, a change of personnel, uh, people coming in at, at scarily short notice. Um, in fact, in that uh, the uh, Chamber Choir Island track, the Kim Porter that we listened to at the start of the program, one of your former students from your uh, your course in York, Sarah Keating, uh, was singing in that. She's now a member of Chamber Choir Island, uh, and on the back of having met her and worked with her in Dublin. Um, she came in and uh, on the day for one of the 16s programs uh, up in the Sage uh, in Gateshead. Very common. I see Solomon's not up in York a couple of days ago. They had the same problem. Uh, I know Macrish has been talking about it with Gabrielli Consort. Um, it was reminded of the Monty, Monty Python con- contractual obligation album uh, that at those moments you, you sort of have to get through the concert and deliver the notes. Um, and it does take away a little bit of the joy, but there's a, there's also a sort of amazement that you can do that in this country there are people who can just step in and uh, and and perform a program they may not have seen until the day yeah i think that's part of the challenge i mean <laughs> having just been speaking about uh uh il gioco de loca and the croce uh, board game let's not forget of course that that was my first <laughs> fadge experience where you handed me the yeah. folder and asked me to try and get it memorized in the time it took to drive from a uh, uh from princess Princess risborough to uh where is it stowe or somewhere like that i can't remember now yeah yeah um but you know you make these plans and uh uh, we had uh, arranged to bring our two our two boys with us uh to the 16th concert in oxford and we were going to stay over with some friends afterwards uh the boys were going to stay at their house during the concert and on the day of the gig our friends come down very poorly uh and uh, unable to you know to look after the boys so then you suddenly find yourself in a, in a childcare situation uh not anyone's fault of course but then you have to just look around for solutions uh and fortunately i have a good friend of mine fergus mccluskey who lives in oxford and he very kindly looked after our boys uh during the concert fergus of astonishing beauty alto voice yeah that's right I, were you in the choir with him uh i can't remember i just remember hearing it and thinking good lord 
Yeah, well, this is a. Uh, it got me to thinking about about Fergus's singing, and uh, there's a, a particular favourite moment I have uh, on on disc of him. This is a. So we're going to hear it now. This is "I Sing of a Maiden" by Harry Dyack Johnston. Uh, it's a recording from the early '90s with the choir of New College Oxford when Fergus was in the choir there.
Some really beautiful solo singing there. Uh, the tenor, Philip Cave, doing the solos at the opening and at the end there. And countertenor, Fergus McCluskey, um, in that performance of Harry Dyke Johnson's I Sing of a Maiden. That was uh, Choir of New College, Oxford, conducted by Edward Higginbottom, recorded, I've just uh, looked up, uh, December 1991. Lovely stuff. I had no idea Harry Dyke Johnson was a composer. He's someone I remember being at university as uh, going to his lectures sometimes there was a, a possibly apocryphal story of him uh, uh was he at st john's st john's oxford oh, i'm gonna stick my neck under. i think it was anyway uh, imagine an oxford courtyard and it's sort of a, a nice spring afternoon and two undergraduates seen going out through the main entrance and uh, he allegedly shouted down to them oh, where are you two going Oh, well, Dr. Johnson, we finished our work for the week. We were thinking of going for the walk in the parks. He said, well, why don't you come up here and we can do some more Palestrina together? <laughs> Palestrina, being, but, Palestrina pastiche being something that you had to write at Oxford. But that's, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking while we were listening to that, is that you can hear, you can almost, you can hear his, his, his contrapuntal brain uh, working his way through that. Yeah, very, very polyphonic. Lovely, lovely, graceful stuff. And a little thank you to Fergus uh, for bailing us out uh, of a tricky situation. Yeah, I mean, you, you you touched on it there. It's something that you and I want to to talk about, the particular issues of you know, balancing families um, and particularly the female perspective on all this because they have a, well, they, A, they have it harder, but there are some big issues there that we're going to do a programme on in the new year. Tell me about your autumn. How's it been? Because as we say, we managed to have a, a brief catch up in Dublin, but uh, there wasn't much time to chat. Yeah, uh, it's been full, which has been great. It's been a, a an undergraduate teaching term. I've been running a module called Singing Monteverdi with uh, 13 students. So that has to fit in alongside the master's course teaching, a um, couple of PhD students. Um, and then Fagiolini was quite busy doing things at uh, Brecon Baroque. That was lovely working with, with Rachel Podger. And then we've just come back from Spain. The last episode was there. And there was that Germany trip as well, which... Crawl Chihuahua has has dealt with, and um, also the, the university choir. Um, we re-ran a Fagiolini concert with the uh, reading "The Child's Christmas in Wales" by the Dylan Thomas, along with the Charpentier Messe de Minuit and and Howells carols. That was lovely. But also twice a week, uh, great luxury at York, I get to rehearse with the Twenty Four, and uh, we had a concert. The first one in the year is always a always a thing because the turnover. Uh, we lost half the choir. Uh, last year, what with master students generally only staying a year, and so many undergraduates go, so that was a that was a big one for us. Um, and we did a Joanna Marsh piece, and we did some Thea Musgrave pieces as well. Always loved singing Thea Musgrave. We used to sing a lot in the Finzi Singers, her fantastic Rorati Celi. Uh, is a Scottish composer, ninety four, ninety five now, I think. Uh, lives in New York, and New York is sort of the home for these little pieces that that uh, she wrote in 94, I think, They're called On the Underground. Um, this is a performance by the National Youth Choir of Scotland, and she's written a little programme note. It said, there is one unexpected pleasure taking the London Underground, and more recently also the New York City subway. One's eye may alight on a poem placed among the pervasive and numbing advertisements, and for a moment the imagination takes wing. The poems selected for this work are all to be found in a hundred poems on the underground. The first, by Robert Herrick, describes the dream world, the setting where the wondrous sights of the anonymous 17th century poem can be find, found. Fortunately, the subway piranhas of Edwin Morgan's contemporary poem exist only in the imagination. 
However, this poem, commissioned for the inauguration of Glasgow's refurbished underground, refurbished underground, so alarmed the transport executive that it was never used. <laughs> Uh, uh, listen hard if you're if you're running see if you can take a brief pause and just listen to this listen to this text of the of the third one
on the underground set number two the strange and the exotic by thea musgrave uh, we had great fun doing those just such surprising words to sing the fish become quite agitated by the shoogling of the train and jump up through the seat the resultant <laughs> skeletons of unlucky passengers turn an honest penny for the transport executive um yeah and a wonderful dictionary. I'm going to I'm going to put my neck out. That's Christopher Bell there conducting National Youth Choir of Scotland. I bet they perform that without scores. There's there's a, it's not just the clarity of the text. There's an intent. We're back to our word intent. There's an intent about the way they sing that is so so clear. And I'm sure they weren't holding scores at the time. I love the fact that you can introduce new music to me like this uh, down the line. Brilliant. I'm going to seek those pieces out. They're wonderful. Right. Change of subject. Uh, we do these silly jingles, niche jingles on Coral Chihuahua. Uh, this isn't a jingle, but it's something that might find its way into one. This is of something, and you have to guess what's going on here. I think most people will, will work out that this is some sort of pet. Uh, play the sound. Wait, I just started. I just, I haven't even sung anything Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. 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 Makes no difference who you are. Okay, well, <laughs> any guesses? Um, do you know, uh, my wife's cousin tried to send me this clip, I think, uh -huh. uh, and I wasn't able to play the sound on it, but I watched it because I have a, a bit of a thing for dogs doing ridiculous things. Is this some tiny dog trying to sing along this with is, its odour? This is a chihuahua. <laughs> of course it is a chihuahua of course trying it is. to sing or unable to keep quiet if its owner is singing um, great well that was one thing i thought thought i should play you um other thing a little bit of correspondence last episode when nicholas mulroy and i were in spain uh we were looking out over actually it wasn't quite the sierra nevada but it was the, the little uh, lesser mountain range in front of it and uh remembering a piece by ivan moody el amor y la sierra uh, and we also had Etymology Corner, in which we looked at some odd Spanish words, including marmalade and izquierda, which is the word for um, uh, for left in Spanish. And he thought it was Arabic, but it turns out to have been Basque. Well, anyway, Ivan got in uh, touch only this morning. He said he was about to mention the Basque origin of izquierda and someone beat him to it. But we may be interested to know that the other word like this is zanahoria for carrot. <laughs> <laughs> Why there shouldn't be a more... Well, anyway, so the Basque, the Basque origin of the word carrot. Carrot's a good, good Christmas word, carrot, because uh, in German, it sounds very, very similar to the word for myrrh. So if you're an English singer and you're singing about the three wise men in the Christmas oratory or something, you have to be very careful that they don't end up bringing gifts of gold, carrots and frankincense. I can remember um, Robin Bowman, head of vocal studies at the Guildhall School of Music, always being very... Uh precise with people when they had to sing the word nuit in French 
that it was definitely night and not noodles. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Let's have pronunciation corner there. Yeah, the U, even when the U is followed by an I, it's still UI and not UI. Yeah, that's a thing that comes up in the stag hunt as well. Um, there's a fuir, fuir and fuir, and they mean different things. No one's interested, as my children would tell me. Um, move on. Uh, we also had some correspondence um, about this running issue of the Victor, uh, Victoria Tenebrae recording, recording of the uh, by Westminster Cathedral Choir. We played that back in your house, didn't we, when we were talking about your dad? That's right, back in September. And um, we, we've actually heard from two of the singers involved in it, which is fantastic. Yeah. Which is wonderful, isn't it? This is a, a, an email from uh, John Elwes uh, recalling some of his time there as a boy. And he writes, Although George, Malcolm, was a rather delicate, sensitive fella, he rather appreciated his rough and tough choir boys, which I was, as they expressed themselves openly in their daily lives and consequently in their music. George was a stickler for precise Latin pronunciation, especially in the clarity of the essential accentuation of a word, gloria, etc. Thus, one learnt to sing, right from the beginning, Latin as a spoken language that had meaning. We only ever sang in Latin in my day at the cathedral, but this daily attention to the speaking and singing of Latin led me, later, to the desire to sing and seek the essential characteristics of all other languages. My time at the cathedral as a choir boy was a lucky gift as it prepared me for my later career as a tenor. And John did, uh, of course, as many of you will know, went on to have a, a hugely successful career as a, as a tenor, John Elwes. Yeah, all my uh, listening to Rameau in the 1980s was, was John Elwes's the, the haute contre, uh, not uh, counter tenor as, as it means in modern uh, French, but the, the high tenor singing those crazy high parts. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, isn't it? So nothing to do. I mean, this is so we keep coming back to it, nothing to do with trying to make a sound. Simply uh, allowing them to express themselves as you know, uh, as young chaps. Uh, what's his phrase? Um, open as they express themselves openly in their daily lives. He appreciated his rough and tough choir boys, and the importance of language. Yeah, and that then, Latin as a spoken language that had meaning. Yeah, and of yeah, course, yeah. you know, when you're brought up singing that, if so much of it feeds into into the other European languages that that you know that you'll be singing in. And then we heard from uh, uh, from Ian Partridge, uh, one of the great tenors of of the last generation, uh, who was uh, a tenor at the time. He, he writes, as I'm sure you know, I was a very young tenor when the Victoria recording was made. I joined the choir at 19, so I must have been 20. It was a very exciting occasion. As a chorister at New College, uh, or as a former chorister at New College, the Westminster boys seemed to make such a contrasting sound to anything I had heard before. First of all, George had them breathing properly. At Oxford, we were certainly not taught correctly. Then, of course, he let them use their full range, including the chest register. I think his predecessor had started this sound on its way. George definitely took both a dramatic and passionate vision of the music. He did once say that he'd wished he had kept some passages more relaxed. As you know, the choir only had five men, so extras had to be brought in. Gosh, I didn't know that. Westminster Cathedral, only five men. Can you imagine trying to sing in there with only five of you? <laughs> Absolutely extraordinary. I'd also mentioned to him how much his recording of Zephyr Otona, the duet with the Jürgen Jürgens Ensemble and with uh, late lamented Nigel Rogers had meant to me when I was a sort of 15, 16 year old. And he said, thank you for your kind words about the Monteverdi. I remember it getting faster as Colin Tilney had a plane to catch. (laughs) The harpsichordist. Eamon, this will be our last one of the year. Uh, Well done uh, to you and me and Greg for actually 
managing to to get this thing out. We never really know whether we're going to make another one. We will we will try. Um, and uh, year ahead will be a little bit different uh, for me, at least. I've I've managed to get some research leave from the University of York in the autumn, so I've got some good thinking and editing time there. What what are you looking forward to? Uh, in the in the year ahead, obviously there are projects. Will it be more of the same? Uh, can you see yourself older and wiser, looking at work in a different way? Yeah, uh, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? During the the pandemic, you know, so many of us had conversations about trying to strike a better life work balance, uh, and then of course, as soon as things started to open up again, everyone was just desperately sort of trying to do as much work as possible and taking anything that came along. Um, I, looking at my diary for the first six months of next year, I think I can see a definite knock-on effect from from pandemic because it is work is a bit thinner on the ground, I would say. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because uh, having a little bit more time to think, as you as you just mentioned there, uh, and actually you know, just slow down a little bit, just try and achieve a better life work balance is no bad thing. Having said that, of course, <laughs> it'll probably probably fill up. The first thing that I'm really looking forward to, actually, is uh, my chamber orchestra in Jersey, the Jersey Chamber Orchestra. We have our 15th anniversary coming up in January uh, and a big celebratory concert, which includes doing the four last songs of Strauss. Oh, blimey. Uh, with, so, yeah, not so much a chamber orchestra for this particular performance. We're enlarging uh, with the wonderful Elizabeth Watts. So I'm very mm. excited uh, to be doing that. Um, I'm back at the Academy uh, doing some more Bach. Um, the Cumnock Trist are expanding uh, some of their outreach and we're doing a series of workshops uh, in the first part of the year, uh, working with singers, trying to address sort of different issues. Um, vocal health is uh, is one of them um, and uh, sort of stamina and, and vocal longevity. And for those who haven't done a huge amount of singing in recent years, how to find their way back into it. Uh, we're going to have a session where we look at rhythm in singers and trying to make sure that our rhythmic cores are, uh, are, are functioning. Uh, and then also sort of vocal flexibility and how one gets around uh, coloratura. So if anyone's interested in, in those, they're going to be happening up in Scotland. And part of the aim is to try and find uh, some new blood for the festival chorus uh, of the Cumnock Trist. Uh, and the 16, presumably as, as busy as ever. Yeah, the Choral Pilgrimage will kick off early. And of course, this year, uh, 2023, we have a big anniversary of William Byrd. So uh, lots of his music coming up. Mm. Now, you um, you mentioned me educating you. One of the things I'm hoping to do is, is educate myself uh, just listening to more music uh, over the year ahead because it all seems to be doing and not not uh, reflecting enough and listening and you just sent me a lovely recording of a judith weir piece which you're going to be doing in uh in march yeah that's right I'm really delighted to have been asked to conduct the holt singers at the barnes festival on the 5th of march this is stephen layton's uh, choir this is one of stephen layton's choirs that's right and uh he uh, is not available for this particular concert and they very kindly asked me to come along. It's a, it's a programme with a strong sort of environmental slant uh, and this setting of uh, A Blue True Dream of Sky by Judith Weir. It's a setting of a poem by E.E. E. Cummings. Oh yes, now hang on, that's that's the one that Eric Whittaker set with its first line, I thank you God for most this amazing day. I would encourage people to go and just do a quick search on the poem because it just looks lovely on the page. Yeah, that's right. And we're doing the Whittaker uh, in the same programme. Um, but this uh, setting, as I say, by Judith Weir.
A Blue True Dream of Sky by Judith Weir. That was the soprano Elizabeth Cragg with the Bath Camerata, conducted by Benjamin Goodson. Uh, ben, who's the conductor of the Netherlands Radio Choir. And that's from a, a recording on Somme Records, a really interesting disc, lots of varied repertoire uh, called Songs of Renewal. It's interesting, isn't it, when you we were talking about the Whitaker setting of that, uh, when you hear a piece... I mean, hear a piece of poetry that you know in one setting. I'm sure everyone listening has got you know, five or six examples they can call to mind. Uh, mine are Ben Roeth's In the Bleak Midwinter that, that came out, I think, yesterday I was listening to with the Fieri Consort. Uh, and The Holly and the Ivy. Um, Georgia Mann was playing that this morning on the Radio 3 programme. An Elgar setting. Uh, that I, They're making out it had been lost for a long time, but there was, there was a fairly recent recording of it. Um, for full orchestra and large choir, fascinating listening to that. <laughs> Although I noticed you remember from your Carols for Choirs One setting, sweet organ, sweet singing in the choir. Um, he had similarly mis uh, misset organ. Uh, one to one, one to listen back on. Sorry, niche points again. Um, <laughs> um, tell me about what's coming up for you this year, then. Um, stuff. Uh, stuff. I'm looking forward to my research leave. Uh, I'm, I'm editing a lot at the moment. I'm editing uh, a 17th century composer that really isn't very well known, Orazio Benevoli, uh, who wrote masses for two choirs, three choirs, and four choirs in a sort of post-Palestrina style. Quite interesting. So I'm doing a lot of editing of that, getting ready for uh, performances and, and recordings, and that will be through into the autumn and then into next the year after that as well. So that's a new thing. It sort of follows on, I suppose, from the Strigio 40-part mass, um, which has quite a few similarities with. Um, so that's going to be a, a recording at some point. Um, but also I'm getting back to Monteverdi 1610. Do you know, I haven't done with Fagellinia 1610 Vespers for 20 years, something like that. I got frustrated with doing it in very large venues in which, you know, you were looking tens and tens of meters, 100 meters to the back of the church. And the detail and the subtlety of it was always lost. And it's always advertised as, you know, the sumptuous sound of. But the detail in that piece, the detail in the Psalms particularly, and the, and the sensuality of the motets, the Nigrosum and the, and the, the Procraes, is something that I think is hard to do in the big venue. So we're going to do it uh, in King's Place uh, in their Sounds Unwrapped season at the end of September. The ticket's already on sale for that. Um, and I'm reminded of the words on the front of the 1610 uh, publication, uh, which mostly advertises the mass that hardly anyone ever does. A mass, it says, for choirs. Um, and then also some... some uh, uh, psalm settings for vespers and and motets for the chapels and chambers of princes so we're gonna just take that as our starting point a smaller acoustic of king's place which so still very good acoustics so that'll be that'll be september so i'm meeting an old friend and i thought we could just as a finish here a little bit that comes that sometimes gets a little bit lost in the monteverdi vespers the ave maristella uh, you're singing on this this is from our 1612 italian vespers recording from 2012 and it's just the first and the last verse Quite a virile approach. Uh, is that a great term? Vir virile from vir meaning man? Well, I hope it's just a good expressive strong approach is what I meant to say. Uh, and uh, instrumental uh, doubling of the parts. What I utterly adore about this hymn setting is that the, the pull of the harmony over these four very short phrases is str so strong. And around that central pull that drives each sort of 10 second phrase, there's lots of sort of melodic ivy to sort of dress the main drive. 
Close of Monteverdi's Ave Maris Stella, Expanded Forces of Ifagiolini by the sounds of it, Robert. What what disc is that from? That 1612 Italian Vespers. That's the one that the, the track that you can hear on on streaming or the CD the CD has uh, all the verses in between from a Soriano publication, and that's the one where you slightly lost your sense of <laughs> humour, or at least I remember you and Greg and Matt having to sing the slow Cantus Firmus. <laughs> It was not your favourite moment of your entire career, but there you go. But you sang it beautifully. Singing Cantus Fermi, uh, yes, the bane of my life. It's uh, there'll be all twenty listeners will be shouting. It's Canti Fermi. <laughs>
Never mind. There's there's a reason I don't want to get it right. Um, Look, that's it for the year, folks. Thanks for staying with us. Um, Do please, if you can, just share this thing around so we can get up to 40 listeners. That would be lovely. Um, And Eamon, I'm going to see you next week. Indeed. Yes, we've got a a, a celebration to go and enjoy, haven't we? A wedding to attend. We'll be at our friend Libby and Barney's wedding, and we're both going to be conducting with the choirs, possibly with Eric Whitaker turning up to conduct his own piece. We don't know yet. So you can learn that one. Um, Thanks, folks. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, See you in the new year. Bye for now. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Prospero año y felicidad. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Eamon made me do it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.